Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, <clears throat> here we are, finishing the, or nearing the finish of the second day of practice. I want to remind you something that you probably all realize, but uh, it might not be in the foreground of your consciousness, that uh, you're in a settling in period right now. It's the second day of practice. And so, um, as Sally was saying, Last night, this is a, more a marathon than a sprint. And sometimes we can forget that um, this first period um, is mainly about being patient with the process of uh, that movement from the activity of the world to the stillness of the internal world here. Uh, for people who are relatively new to practice, um, well, I think everybody here has done at least one or two retreats. Um, the thing that gets easier that I find in practice is not so much that you zoom past that settling in period. I, I f- for years I've tried to figure out how I could start a retreat on the fourth day. You know? <laughs> but just that you you know that this is uh, just a natural part of the experience. The first, I give myself three days at least to kind of land here. And the first few days, common experiences, mm, sleepiness. How many people have been working with sleepiness? Okay, take a little reality check here. Uh, restlessness, anybody working with restlessness? Okay. Sometimes it's a moment of sleepiness followed by a moment of restlessness. And you're going to sleep and then you're kind of like this. <laughs> um, aches in the body, anybody getting a chance to work with that? Okay. Uh, busy mind, anyone? Yeah. Those are the four basic experiences that I, that I see. So if you're having any one of those four, right on schedule. You're just doing absolutely fine. This is part of the process. You're in a, a detox period now. You're, you're detoxing from stimulation and activity and email and our obligations and things to do and just letting it all settle, and the first couple of days, besides going through those four, what also comes up naturally, frequently, not for everybody, but for many, is uh, some resistance to the practice, either being here or doing it or um, just having a sense of, gee, wouldn't it be nicer if... I was somewhere else. Anybody 
working with resistance to your experience. Okay. Because you're being told, okay, now you sit still for 45 minutes okay, or an hour. Now walk in this different way. Now sleep in this new bed and here's the schedule. This is what you're supposed to do. Um, of course, if resistance arises, it would be natural because um, we're not in control of our experience and able to uh, make choices of uh, distraction as we, we often do. And then the, the common question comes up, um, am, I, am I doing it right? Am I doing it the way I'm supposed to? Am I being a good yogi? Am I giving it my all? Am I, you know, being sloppy, lazy? That whole slew of thoughts. <clears throat> and it's a very tricky question, am I doing it right? Because there's so many ways to do it. And we are, we'll be giving different instructions as the the days go on and there might be different emphases for your particular practice or maybe the person who gives the the instruction might have a slightly different way of expressing it or maybe more than a, a slightly different way so many different ways to do this practice of cultivating mindfulness but what i want to talk about tonight not so much the particular technique or ways to practice but the um, the attitudes that I find particularly supportive when I'm practicing and that have been mentioned here in one way or another by uh, the other the other teachers but I just want to highlight three particular aspects that for me have have been the distillation of all the instructions <clears throat> because our attitude no matter what is happening or how we're particularly approaching the practice whatever techniques um, the attitude is really the key that will keep on allowing the process to unfold in a, a very natural and um, profound way. So for me, the instructions come down to um, what's happening now. Always a very useful question. What's happening now, just in this moment? Can I, I let my experience be just as it is and can I bring this attitude to it. Relaxed, interested, kind awareness. I want to talk about those three. You've been hearing the word relax a lot. At least I've been noticing it because I've been preparing, you know, having an idea. I want to share this topic and uh, most uh, most each person who's given instructions or spoken about the practices has talked about the importance of relaxation and coming into the practice with an ease. 
This is, this cannot be overstated. This requires a mind and a heart that's at ease. Because in that relaxation, in that ease, we can open, it allows us to open to our experience so that we can see it clearly. A number of years ago, there was a, a, a great Tibetan master who came and spoke uh, on a Monday night and uh, I was told about the talk and then I listened to it uh, on tape. And uh, in the middle of, of the talk, he says, I can tell you the essence of practice, sum it all up in two words. And everybody got really interested. Uh, oh, wow, got the secret teachings now. And then he said, be spacious. That was his way of expressing practice. Be spacious. Because in that spaciousness, in that openness, we can see clearly. When the mind is contracted, either because of over-efforting or worry or struggle, we can't see clearly. As sincerely as we're putting our effort in, there's just not room to let our wisdom shine through. This is from Nyoshal Kempo. Rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. I'll read it again. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind beaten helplessly by karma and neurotic thoughts. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. You will not deepen your understanding through struggle. You will not learn to connect with the moment through fighting and trying so hard that you get wound up in knots, trying to be the perfect yogi. This is not the way. And in fact, particularly for those who are mm, drawn to concentration, sometimes concentration can be a very valuable tool, but sometimes the idea of concentration uh, has this feeling of tightening and, and focusing and getting laser-like and you have to really give it your all. And actually, 
concentration is supported through a relaxed mind, as paradoxical as that might seem. If you're putting blinders on or trying to block things out, the tension that gets created just works against you. I always find that if I let my mind be relaxed and just really let myself be drawn to a particular focus in the field, that that's, that's how concentration develops, not by straining and striving. But what is relaxed mean? It does not mean lazy. It does not mean laid back and just, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. You know, whatever happens. There's a kind of um, a relaxed quality that also includes a wholeheartedness. That wise effort is, for me, that balance between a, a true commitment to showing up as best one can with a lightness of heart, a spaciousness, uh, a kind of um, mm, humor and ease. And they, they go together in a very beautiful way. The problem comes when we equate effort with results and see, oh, this is happening. Now I, my mind is clear. I must be doing it right. Oh, now my mind is, is lost in thought or there's a whole lot of emotions coming up and I must be not doing it right. Or now there's a lot of hindrances. You know, if you think the idea is to be a hindrance-free yogi, good luck. The idea isn't to be a hindrance-free yogi. The idea is to be able to open up to all of the hindrances and the difficulties that arise without letting them um, take you over or getting, getting so um, lost in them that you can't see clearly. Hindrances are just a natural part of this process. That's why they've been talked about that's why they're right in the Satipatthana Sutta. Take a look and see how the hindrances work. And just as a quick reminder, the big five, desire, a wanting mind, wanting things to be different, aversion, aversive mind, want another way of wanting things to be different. I don't like this. Dullness, sloth and torpor, the dull mind, the lethargic mind, which particularly in those, these first few days is, is so predominant because it takes a while to get in touch with our energy. Dullness and, oh, I, don't, I just don't feel like doing it or... Do I have to pay attention to another breath? We just had one a moment ago. It's how different can it be? You know? Restlessness, either energetically in your, your body or in your mind, restlessness, agitation, 
worry, guilt, just that very scattered, superficial mind that flits about, and doubt. I don't know if I can do this, or I'm not sure I should have come to this particular retreat, or um, this practice is weird. I thought it was really just what I needed, and having some second thoughts. Those are the big five. And then there's a kind of, you know, sub subset of all the difficult energies from confusion, fear, judgment, um, sadness, all the difficult mind states. If you're wanting to open up to life fully, it means you've got to open up to the whole show of what comes in these first few days what comes is often out of that resisting mind or that that contracted mind, <clears throat> especially the, the the dull or the restless mind. The thoughts will not tend to be towards openness and, and bliss. Although I must say that even in the interviews today, a few people said, I feel so grateful and connected and here I am. So I don't want to discount that as well. But just this is a natural unfolding in the process and working with the hindrances and being here with things uh, as they are is the key, not to have some ideal of what the perfect meditation is like. I remember on one retreat, it was one of my early retreats, I was, I was just, there with the breath, pretty much, and enjoying myself. Um, and then I noticed that everybody around me, it seemed, was crying and going through boxes of tissues and having these, what I thought were deep catharses. And, and after a while, I started thinking, gosh, I think I might be missing something here. And I, and I, I really, and I went running to, to Joseph and saying, um, I don't know, everybody's getting a whole lot of out, out of this and I'm just here with my breath, you know, am I, what am I, am I doing something wrong? And he advised me, I've thought of this many times, don't go looking for trouble, it will find you <laughs> soon enough. And it did after a while. But if you have the idea, oh, yes, I just want to make the big breakthrough in my heart, that might be your ideal for somebody else who's going through the tissues. God, if I could just stay with one breath and not be, you know, so mushy and and tender and raw, you know, that's their idea. Or you can be out there in the walking practice and see somebody who's walking slowly like a snail and you say, gosh, I wish I could do it like that, you know. Or maybe... 15 minutes later, you see somebody else is going slowly and you say, who do they think they are? (laughs) Who are they trying to impress? The mind can do anything. You can see somebody walking fast and saying, gosh, they're just themselves and they're so unpretentious and just real. And then a few hours later, somebody's walking fast and you might say, don't they get it? You know, why don't you slow down, man? You know, 
we have so, so many ideas about what good practice is and it's, it doesn't look like anything. It's not what's going on out there. It's what's going on in here and how I'm relating to experience. So instead of judging our effort from what's happening, it really comes from a sincerity that we bring to the practice. That's all we need to do and can do, is just show up as sincerely as as we can and let go of the idea of what it's supposed to look like. And again, you hear so many different messages. You know, I, I, I've been around teachers who've said, heroic effort, this is what it's about. And I, I know how to, uh, I know what it's like to practice with that. Remember one instruction, abandon all concern for the body. You know, as your leg is falling off, just keep noting it. You know, falling off, falling off, you know. And it can be tremendously inspiring to give that kind of wholeheartedness into practice. It can work against you too. Or, you know, somebody else, simple and easy, you know, just whatever comes. And um, that can be really a powerful practice as well. See, the paradox is it takes some effort to get here. There's no doubt about it. One teacher Talks, talked about this practice as manual labor. You're just kind of like bringing your attention back each time. Okay, come on back. And there's no question that it takes some willingness to keep on coming back. But once you're here, once you're truly here in the present moment, any extra effort is extra any trying to make it a better moment, you're missing out on the fact that all you need to do is to relax into it just as it is. So even in making that effort, it can be a relaxed effort that's just coming from the heart, just a willingness to come back each time. <clears throat> and the, the key moment, the way I see it, and I share this, often with with people as I'm giving instructions, is the moment that you realize that you've been wandering. That's that's where you've got choice. While you're lost in thought, there's not much you can do about it. You are gone. You might be gone for a few moments or five minutes or ten minutes, you're gone. But when you realize that you've been gone, that's when you've got some choice. And if you have the response of, oh darn, there I am, gone again. Let's get back here. All you're doing is cultivating judgment and frustration and discouragement. If you have the, the response, oh, I've been gone, but this is a really interesting thought. Let me just go with this one. Yeah. Then you'll be hooked again and gone. So it takes a kind of attitude where no blame at all for the fact that you've been gone and appreciate the fact that you've just woken up. Oh, here we are again. 
And if you can let that return be done with great kindness and patience and a sincere intention to be here, that's how you're cultivating a, a healthy attitude with the mind. Where you're not taking it personally and you're not battling it. That's where the relaxed attitude comes in. Oh, it's okay, great. I just saw, I've been gone. Oh, I can, I can wake up again. Here we go, all right. And what that means to have that kind of an attitude is that you're not taking your thoughts personally and you're not taking your practice personally. At one point in my practice, I had this incredible, uh, for me, revelation that turned everything around when I realized as much as I wanted to have a particular experience, I have no control over this mind. You have really no control over what comes through your mind at any one moment. Now that might seem like bad news, but it's actually great news. This is what the revelation was. Oh, it's great news. I have no control over this mind. That means I don't have to blame myself for what comes through. How wonderful. That's a bizarre thought. Okay, how interesting. Or I don't have to take credit. Hey, that was a really neat thought. I hope everybody sees that. You know. It's just coming through all on its own. Have you noticed? If you had control over your thoughts, you'd probably only have loving thoughts of saving humanity. But a few others probably slip in there, don't they? So it's a tremendous relief to see, oh, it's okay. You know, you don't say, I, I could go for some rage right now, you know. <laughs> it just comes, you know. How about doubt? Yeah, go for a good bout of doubt. You know. It just comes and goes. And when you don't take it personally, it's no problem. Joseph Goldstein has this great instruction. I've, I've used it many, for many years. He says, if you're bothered by your thoughts, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. <laughs> it makes it so much easier. You, know? you don't have to blame yourself for it whether it's the thoughts or the mind states, anger, pettiness, judgment, confusion, they're all just coming and going. And when you truly see that they're doing, they're following their own laws, that's a direct experience of anatta. That's a direct experience where you don't have to take ownership of what comes through. And the same with your body. When it is not cooperating the way you like and thinking, gosh, why isn't it behaving? You're missing the fact that it's just following its own laws. How can I relate to this without taking ownership of it? Because it's the relating to it that counts, not so much what's happening. So this is the, the first in this instruction. A relaxed awareness where you're not taking your experience personally and there can be an ease and an openness and a, 
uh, non-identification, where you're not trying to figure anything out, where you're not trying to have a particularly wonderful experience. It's just like it is, and it's okay. That was, Joseph once gave me a mantra. He says, okay, you like mantra meditation? Here's a mantra for you. It's okay. That's a great mantra. Whatever is happening, it's okay. Okay. Relaxed, interested, an interested awareness. Interest or investigation, one of the seven factors of awakening. And the key to, I find, the key to uh, wise effort. Because instead of thinking, I've got to pay attention, if you get in touch with that natural curiosity that we've all come into the world with and use it as your uh, source of, of opening to the moment. We all came in with this real innate urge to learn and discover. When I, I have this birthday card at home that um, uh, I got, and I've never sent it out because it's so precious. I love this card. And every time I see it, I'm going through my stack of cards and and I see that one, and I just get a kick out of it. And it's this this baby um, looking fascinated, cross-eyed at a, a booger, right? <laughs> he's got it in his, in his hands, in between his fingers, and he's just kind of like, hmm. And uh, it says, you open it up, and it says, happy birthday, you always were easy to entertain. You know. <laughs> that, to me, is, is really the essence of uh, my attitude towards practice, that anything can be interesting if you really look at it carefully and deeply. It's all mysterious and magical. It's all magical. Hmm. So to, to have that, that sense of, of wonder that we were born with, you know, that as Jesus said in, uh, in his teachings, except ye be converted as children, you will not know the kingdom of heaven. It's a great attitude to bring to practice, to just look carefully. It's so interesting. When you do develop some mindfulness, it begets itself. In the beginning, you have to kind of pretend that it's interesting. You, know? you kind of maybe trick yourself. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll be interested in the breath. And it takes some effort to keep on bringing yourself back. But the way it works, as you, as you bring that interest and develop that mindfulness those first few days, here's how it works. The more you make the initial effort to become, be interested in your experience, 
the, the stronger the mindfulness starts to become. The more mindful, the more you see. The more you see, the more interesting it is. And the more interesting it is, the more you want to pay attention. So it kind of begets itself. There's this, this spiral, this development that in the beginning takes a kind of uh, jump start to bring that investigation in. But that momentum, moment after moment of developing those moments of mindfulness, the interest keeps on carrying you in. And again, just like uh, I said before with concentration, it's not that you're trying hard, you're just letting yourself be absorbed in what's here. Now, sometimes I know it's not particularly interesting. There are a few moments where you might find yourself saying, this is not particularly interesting. In fact, this is downright boring. Anybody dealing with boredom so far? A few people. Oh, that's not that many at all. Good. Well, it will come to the, the rest of you probably. And boredom is a really... Uh, I find really um, fascinating part of practice. Boredom can be fascinating. As Fritz Perl said, boredom is just lack of attention. And what we call boredom is just covering up a whole lot of things going on. There's probably some restlessness or some aversion or some wanting, and we just cover the whole thing up and say, boring, this is boring. But there's so much there underneath that we are just not in contact with. To explore boredom, even when it seems it's not interesting. I, I remember hearing um, Trungpa Rinpoche, this great Tibetan master, give a talk once in he said, uh, he came in, as he often did, like about an hour and a half late, and then, but everybody was waiting around for him. And he started out by saying, um, tonight we will talk about, uh, I will share with you the breakthrough, the real breakthrough in practice. Again, everybody got really very excited. He was going to finally give the goods. And then he went on to ramble for the next mm, hour and a half to two hours. People were getting fidgety. People were kind of like, you know, saying, oh, uh, I think he forgot, you know, what's going on, you know, restless, looking at their watches, you know. And then, like, in mid-sentence, he said, the real breakthrough is boredom. (laughs) And it was like, whoa, that one stayed with me. Talk, And he went on to say, if you're looking for entertainment, you're missing out on this moment right here. It's not about what's next. It's about right here, right now. A, you might have seen this uh, Gan, Wil- Gan Wilson uh, cartoon, these two Zen, uh, Zen students, one very experienced and one... Uh, newbie and the newbie is looking at the the door and uh, the experienced practitioner 
turns to him and he says, nothing happens next, this is it. (laughs) The interesting thing is, the flip side of boredom is peace. Just what we're all yearning for so much, ah, no sense impingement, nothing that I need to make happen, just a complete relaxation into the stillness. That's peace. But we're so either used to stimulation or maybe a little bit afraid when it gets so quiet that we cover it up and say, uh, not enough going on right now. Just taking a look and see what's going on when you're bored. How to make it interesting. I find it really um, an attitude of practice that, that I find helpful is to make practice like a game. This is not a pass-fail test. It can be done with a real playful spirit. Sometimes I, I play this game with myself, just imagining that I'm an alien that's just been dropped onto this planet Earth and I'm supposed to report back to the mothership. This is what anger is like for these guys. Oh, let's check out anger, you know. Oh, this is what freaking out is like for these people. Oh, this is freaking out, you know. This is what love is. This is what peace is. And you're just there with an interested, curious awareness. Mm. You can have fun when you do this practice. Or you can just come into the moment as if you've never been here before. Here's a little exercise I like to do. Here, just uh, try this for a moment. Close your eyes. And just imagine that you've just come into the world. You've just been born, come through the birth canal and about to take your very first breath. How present can you be for it? This first breath, this first moment. Can you be here for it? Here it is, your first breath. This is what's keeping you alive. And now, just for a few moments, imagine you've come to the end of your life and this is your last breath, your very last breath. Can you be here for it? This last moment, opening to the mystery of what comes next. Here it is, your last breath.
Now let go of beginning, of ending, of birth, of death, and just tune into this moment, this breath, which has never been here before and which will never be here again. Can you be here for this one? Here it is, a moment of life. if you like. When I practiced with one, uh, one master <clears throat> and you'd report every day for, um, uh, for an interview and uh, <clears throat> I was, I'd report, you're supposed to report all the different sensations that you, that you notice in the breath and I reported and at some point um, he said to me, okay, tell me something new about the breath that you you haven't seen, you never saw before. I thought, oh my God, I've been doing this practice for 10 years and a whole lot of retreats. Something new? You know, I said to myself, I got really nervous because you had to come up with something the next day. But there I was, I was really, I was intent on seeing something new. And I reported, oh, I saw this. And he said, oh, good. Now tell me something new tomorrow. You know? And he did this for like, you know, three or four days. And, and then I realized, oh, there's always something new. Every breath is a completely unique experience. And it was so good to get in touch with that, um, that curiosity and that openness. Just try it. Every breath is new. And what is amazing is that we have this interest that we were born with. We didn't have to be born with interest. I sometimes think about that. You know, we could have just been born, I sometimes think, are ants interested in what they're doing? Are they fascinated? Probably, I don't know. But they seem like they're just, they've got their task to do. But we, we're fascinated Everything is interesting to us if we let that part of us get activated. So to bring that into your meditation, a relaxed awareness, an interested awareness, and then a kind awareness. And this is something also that you can't overdo you have all done some metta practice and today uh, Sally started on the Brahma Viharas. There's a reason why we do Brahma Vihara practice in these retreats. It's to remind you, remind all of us that the mindfulness needs to be infused with a spirit of heartfulness. That we're meeting the moment with friendliness and that the idea is to merge that metta, that spirit of friendliness right into the mindfulness practice. Mm. Doesn't mean that you like what's happening. Oh yes, I love my insecurity. 
but it means that you can be kind with it. Again, that you don't take it personally and as you would to anybody else who is in the middle of a challenging experience, you'd bring some kindness to them. We can be so hard on ourselves as we do this practice. As Robert Bly has this line, every part of us that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. That's what we're called on to do, to open up to the whole package of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive. And it it takes patience because we've had a lifetime of conditioning, a lifetime of cultivating habits of insecurity or judgment or high standards. And this practice requires a tremendous... um, understanding of that conditioning and letting go of the idea of being perfect. One of my favorite lines of all in uh, the Third Zen Patriarch, which is my my favorite piece of Dharma wisdom, says, um, to live in the highest realization, to live in this realization, is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's the highest realization, to be without anxiety about non-perfection. That's when you're truly bringing the heart of a Buddha or Kuan Yin into your experience. How can you bring a kind awareness to the moment? It's so easy to forget and get lost in judgment as... Uh, I like to think, you know, the judging mind, the comparing mind, the mind that's, that's, uh, that's not good enough or that's better than or worse than is even there at the third stage of enlightenment, they're still judging in the mind. So cut yourself a little slack if you find that you've gotten caught in judgment you're just no higher than third stage. You can, might think of it like that. And it's not to do away with that judgment. It's just to see the conditioning behind it. As I, I shared this with, with somebody today, and uh, I often share it on, on retreats, the key is not to do away with the judging. It's to realize you can bring a kindness to the judging. You don't have to judge the judging. And for two years, my main practice was getting in touch with the, the attitude of kindness every time I noticed a judging thought. This is my main practice. Some of you have, have been in, uh, with me when I've done this before, but since a number haven't, I'll just do it again. Just try this, okay? Close your eyes and imagine that you just notice yourself really losing it. And there's a judgment, you know. Oh, yeah. There I am, so pathetic. Right? And then you realize, oh, there's judging. Okay. Now, 
in noticing the judging, try it like this. Take your hand and put it on your cheek. And as if you were Kuan Yin doing the noticing, just feeling that kind, loving caress and silently say to yourself in the kindest voice, oh, judging, judging. Let yourself feel the tenderness, like it's okay, judging. Okay, can you feel that? And sometimes people find that just touching their heart can do the same thing. And when I said it was my main practice for two years, literally it was. I, I didn't do this each time, but when I'd, after a while you hear the tone. You can just change the tone and bring that kindness in. And in that tone, every time you have a judgment, you're developing compassion. Oh, how cool, how wonderful. And when I'd forget, I would a- then actually touch my cheek because there's something about that visceral feeling that evokes it. Mm. So a kind awareness that's not trying to be anything else than it is, but is cultivating in every single moment that you are uh, not taking ownership of the experience, this is the gift that you're giving yourself. Relaxed, interested, kind awareness. And what is this awareness? What is this awareness that just comes through us when it's not colored by contraction or judgment or some kind of hindrance? What is the awareness that just shines through? Is it ours? Can we take ownership of that? It's this mystery that is simply expressing itself through this form. It's not ours and yet it's ours and it comes through. But you can't turn it off. Just try this. Close your eyes and uh, tune into listening for a few moments. My voice or the sounds in the room or when it's very quiet, the silence. Just let yourself tune into the sounds. And now, try not to be aware of the sounds. Try to stop noticing.
you might notice something else, but see if you can turn your awareness off. It's just coming through you. Do you have to try hard? Mm-mm. Can you say it's, it's mine? Can you say my awareness is better than your awareness? I've got better awareness than you do. It doesn't make any sense. It's just awareness shining through. And when you can really see that, it's so freeing to realize you don't have to manufacture the awareness. You don't have to manufacture... Really, you don't have to manufacture the kindness. You don't have to manufacture the peace. You just have to get out of the way and it's all right there. And then the awareness knows automatically. There's a, a poem that I love that I'll, I'll close with about the mystery of this awareness. This is from Dana Falds, who's my favorite Dharma poet. <clears throat> she says, Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do. Nothing to be but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath. Awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. I'll read it once more. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. And all we need to do is bring a relaxed, interested, 
kind awareness to this moment and everything happens by itself. So let's sit for a few moments. you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.